Hello, and welcome back to Restore Planet Podcast with me, your host, Jack Cole. So today for podcast number 50, I've got a great guest joining us from Indonesia, Rainy Tresia. So welcome, Rainy. She's going to tell us a little bit about her background and her work working with uh, Black Macaques. And yeah, Rainy, so as I say, welcome. And please give us a little bit of your background, how you got it to where you are today. And yeah, we'll go from there. All right. Thank you very much, Jack. Uh, good evening from Indonesia and good noon over there in the UK. Uh, my name is Raini um, and I'm from North Sulawesi. I'm Minahasan people. Uh, I am the project's coordinator for Selamat Kanyaki. Uh, uh, it's a conservation project in North Sulawesi. Uh, so Selamat Kanyaki is the Indonesian word uh means save the macaque uh, and yeah i joined actually this month has marked the uh 10 years of my work with the project so uh, and also the 50th episode i heard so it feels special now even more and i first joined the project um in 2013 as the project's uh, sorry, the program secretary, because my background was actually administration and secretarial duties. But then I've been always a nature lover since little, obviously, because I live here in North Sulawesi. It's an amazing place. It's, you know, surrounded by beautiful uh, beaches and forests. So it's amazing. Not, it's almost impossible not to love the nature. Um, but yeah. Not until 2013, though, then I joined a voluntary program where I first heard about the Yaki. So it was quite an amazing experience to start my conservation work. Um, yeah, I found out um, that it was it is endemic species and then it's critically endangered. I was like, with shock and oh my god, so what, what can I do? And I first just uh, help a bit like voluntary casually uh, help the projects and then uh, time flows a bit and I yeah through mutual friends uh, I think I've you know meeting people with the same passion in nature sort of like lead you to the right path right so here I am now like it's amazing to to start from an administrative uh, position to now into the leadership position of course, it's after you know lots of learning progress um, through our diverse projects and yeah, going to the field not only at the back of the uh, table, but it's been amazing experience. Brilliant. So, give us a little bit of an overview of the Sulawesi itself in terms of habitat, climate, and um, for those who are unfamiliar with the area um, and what they might find there, and of course the black macaque within that that context. Right. Um, I hope my overview can boost your <laughs> enthusiastic to probably put Sulawesi into your next uh, place to visit. It's a very beautiful area. Um, so Sulawesi is the largest island in the Wallacea area. Um, it's in Indonesia, one of the uh, biggest five islands, you know, because Indonesia has thousands of islands and we are the one that looks a little bit like K. Um, <laughs> and uh, the climate here is it's 
we are in the tropic, of course, way, way um, hotter than the UK. I've been there twice, so I know how it feels. I think we have a different uh, meaning of what cold is. <laughs> we thought cold here is just a bit windy, but um, you know, it is very chill here. Um, we only have, they said we only have um, rain or rain a lot. So, but also, also very sunny, like blue sky. The habitat here, um, the island itself, it has tropical rainforest. We have also mangrove forests and coral reefs. So it's very special. Uh, through uh, some research says that the Wallacea area is the the meeting point of the species uh, in Asia and Australia. That's why it's very unique. So apparently research also shows that estimated around 25% bird species are endemic and can only be found in the forest in Sulawesi. That's why the bird watching here are also like crazy and also the diving. So this is um, one of the best diving spots around the world. <laughs> in, yeah. And also the uh, around 62%, you need to check this probably, uh, but the mammal species are very unique to the island. Um, so we have lots lots of amazing species and plants of course here and well the but of course as the same with other places in the world that is rich with biodiversity the also it's also facing lots of threats like deforestation and also climate change and wildlife trade sort of thing like that but it's very unique and special so you have to come and visit here Absolutely. And tell us more about the ecology of the black macaque. Right. So the, the black macaque, um, so like I mentioned before, so Sulawesi is one of the biggest five islands in, in Indonesia, but we are in the northern part. So if you see, we are all, and at the top, so we almost uh, closer to the Philippines and the Sulawesi crested black macaque. Um, it's locally known as the yaki. You know, in, in in English, it doesn't really sound really great, like, oh, yaki or something like that. But it, so that's the local name of the macaque. Um, so they their native region is only um, in the small forest fragments in North Sulawesi. And um, yeah, they, which is now very small, obviously, because of the growth of population and others. Um, so yeah, and the character, the characteristic is, as you can see in my background, <laughs> this is both cute. Uh, they have, so there are seven species of macaque actually, um, in the island of Sulawesi, but this one can be, um, recognized by their black hair, of, uh, black body fur, and also the very cute heart-shaped bottom, and then, you know, that mohawk uh hairstyle it's very charismatic their face is very um charismatic and handsome <laughs> and uh, somehow people people ask me like how big are they because sometimes people can uh, think they're as big as the gorilla but they're actually not um it's quite small it's like around i think one point the males uh can grow as big as 1.7 feet and the female is a bit uh, smaller than that. 
Uh, they are mainly frugivores, so they love their fruit eaters. Um, which with fruit, um, apparently they eat around more than one hundred and forty nine species, uh, species of plants. So that's amazing. Like they really help um the forest growth here, and they also um they have cheek pouches. And whenever they eat, they store the food here, you know, like, just like human, right? I mean, like primates, we store our food and then just bring in, we're just too greedy to, uh, to eat something and then bring along whenever we go. So there's the yaki also, but it really helps the forest to grow because imagine they bring the food, they store it, and then they will eat it later and it's, you know, disperse the seeds wherever they go in between their home range. So that's, that's very uh, interesting. And they also live in a very social group, um, large group between like um, almost 100 in one group. And they have also hierarchy in the group. So they have one uh, alpha male that, you know, the police of the group, like the, the mayor is <laughs> pretty similar to social life. Uh, they love grooming. It is very entertaining whenever you go to see them in the wild. It's just lots of actions. Like you, five hours will fly by if you're very lucky to see them in the forest. It's just like following them, foraging around the forest. And yeah. Um, so being said that um, they only live in this small fragmented forest in North Sulawesi, they are endemic. Um, and also facing lots of threats like um, forest loss, like habitat loss, and also illegal wildlife trade, uh, sometimes also being hunted um, for consumption and being kept as pet. So they are uh, critically endangered by the IUCN status. And for that, they are also protected by the Indonesian law. You know the population numbers, roughly? I'm sorry? Do you know the population numbers, more or less? How many there are? Yeah, so there's, I think, for all the species around the world, it's quite hard to say, like, precisely. Um, but we always, of course, you know, as research-based conservation program, uh, we always uh, use journal that already published. Um, they said that it's less than 5,000, so it's around 5,000 in the whole North Sulawesi, and then there are around 2,000 in uh, one forest called Tangkoko, which is like been called like their last safeguard of the the last home of the Yaki, sort of. Right, okay, okay. Um, and so, yeah, tell us, well, in light of that, the work that you're involved with, the work that uh, Salamak and Yaki um, is doing, and yeah, your areas of focus, projects, uh, yeah. All right, so uh, Salamak and Yaki has been here for around 10 years. Well, actually, it was established in 2007 uh, as a rapid response uh, to the previous survey done before. Um, so. This project was found, founded by Wild, Wild Planet Trust in the UK, actually, and in collaboration with a Pacific Institute and um, a local university of UNSRAT here in Manado back then uh, to mitigate the threats 
uh, facing uh, by the species. And over the years, uh, we started our uh, program like on the ground in 2011. And our focus is actually uh, through conservation, research, and education. Of course, with collaboration with national, international stakeholder, uh, you know, because as an NGO, we bring innovation, innovative solutions and specialized expertise and flexibility in implementing our community-based project. Uh, on the other hand, of course, the local government as the legal institute in, you know, taking care of the monkeys and uh, the habitat, they provide essential resources and also uh, regular, you know, like uh, support in regulations. Um, so since 2011, we actually have three projects, like big main projects, uh, education and awareness raising, and which is more in, you know, outreach and delivering messages about how the Yaki is actually endemic here. And uh, actually until today, still I found people that still shock about it. Like, oh, what's really? I thought they're everywhere, you know? So it's like showing that it's, it's really important, you know? Of course, like we are supporting the government to do that, uh, to do as much our outreach uh, in the market, in schools, in media, and also we supporting the, uh, we use different strategies to to develop, uh, like based on the understanding of behavior changes, of course, and promoting social, uh, how do you say, social marketing and also uh, intrinsic values and relation values and positive frames of the nature protections. Um, and then we also have the protected, protected area management. So the holistic approach is also to improve the protection of the reserve and its surrounding by empowering local communities uh, to protect the surrounding forests and act as role models. So, so they can also, you know, take part and provide a voice and direct participation in the management. Like, you know, uh, before there was a distance between the local communities uh, with the management of the forest because it's been always about the rules. Like, you cannot do this, you cannot cut the trees, you cannot uh, hunt, you cannot blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, maybe it was a different approach. That's why we came to um, breach that and then took a different uh, approach by saying that this is very, the nature is very important and then also it brings you values and everything. So they are now, um, you know, they, they can easily join the patrols in the forest or whenever there is a forest fire, they will go there, um, with their own initiative being without us, you know, like call them. So it's it's amazing to after these 10 years to see this that the changes. Uh before I was also, you know, uh joined the first part of going to the communities where they were so against this, like who are you like telling about the forest behind our back, <laughs> like behind our yard. So yeah, it's amazing. But now they even join the same meeting as us, like stakeholders it's amazing to see and then they're proud to tell about the nature around uh, their houses and also yeah we try some um, sustainable uh, livelihood approaches some pilot projects um, which is 
of course, um, yeah, quite um, a difficult one, like a challenging one. But then, you know, to try to give alternatives to people um, to, for example, to reduce their dependability to the forest. It's like, you know, to, to normally they would um, farm right inside the forest area and to open new lands for hunting, um, hunting and sell uh, the species. So us as um, NGO and we need to collaborate with um, more stakeholders is we need to give solution for the people around the forest, you know, to get uh, alternative or another sustainable uh, income, right? So that's another area that we also still want to uh, expand. And not also to mention we have uh, our new recent ones and uh, exciting projects uh, mitigating the human-wildlife interface. Because at the moment, uh, the macaque, well, there's one area where the macaque lives it's almost no buffer zone between uh, the forest and the village. And then the monkey, uh, most of the time, well, uh, most recently crossed the like a small stream and then started, uh, you know, like picking fruits from other people's house or shaking their houses. So, uh, yeah, there are lots of efforts. So we also joined uh, efforts with our partners. Um, a lo another local NGOs to activate monkey guards and, you know, like they need to shoot the monkey somehow when uh, they approach the village and it's been interesting, but yeah, it's, um, and sorry, also like... That? Sorry, Rainy, what was that? Monkey guards? Monkey? Yeah. So what, the monkey what are those? So we activate, like we, we, um, initiate the, the local people to stand in the border like patrol oh sorry guards like protecting ah, like oh. oh okay fantastic right let's see sorry <laughs> yeah no problem so uh so this is like you know another way to um to mitigate the interaction between the macaque and also the people that might um lead to negative conflicts like negative interactions uh, and other than that, we also uh, build capacity for the local guides in the in the park, the nature park, um, by the capacity, this series of capacity buildings. So, with the goals to apply ecotourism principle in the area, you know, to to say that you know keep the distance with the macaques or the other animal because, or even tell them that this is critically endangered uh, species that you are at the moment looking at something like that. And, so yeah, and another project also we have is the Biodiversity Monitoring Unit. Um, it's a um, camera trap survey and across the region. And we hope that this data will serve as a, like a baseline of the status of the population, not precisely to count them, but at least to know where are the macaques. So it can also like help us to you know like to strengthen our conservation um, initiative or our uh, decision whether to do what activities around the areas. So that's um, really <laughs> yeah. You you can actually uh, read more about 
uh, our work here, like in salamatanyaki.ngo. I mean, you can see we have we've been, it's amazing, like these 10 years, we've been doing so, so many activities, of course, supporting uh, and collaborating with other stakeholders, which is important because we all, we are only eight people, well, seven here now. And yeah, it's it's impossible to work alone in conservation, right? You need to you need to collaborate with people, so you can use the most resources, like not duplicating uh, other efforts, and yeah, just being effective. Of course. And speak a little bit more personally. Tell me about some of the personal experiences or interactions that you've personally had out in the Sulawesi or with black macaques. All right, that's, that's um, an interesting one also like <laughs> to start with uh, my career in conservation because um, a few years ago before I joined the project, my cousin actually happened to uh, pet a pair of macaques in her house, which is, um, yeah, like two houses after my house. Uh, and then she was not home all the time back then and then yeah my my dad sort of rescued one of the pair because the other one was already died so it was quite heartbreaking to see so we end up had that macaque in our house and yeah at, at that time i didn't know about um this protection or their white life because we also didn't know what to do about that so we just you know sort of taking care of that and it's that's amazing because um the macaque uh, felt a bit like a family, you know, like you have your dog in the house, right? And at the same time, I had um, exposure with Salama Kanyaki and finally managed to arrange the rehabilitation process. Like they, uh, some partners with the rehabilitation uh, rescue center came and, and pick up the macaque. It was quite a uh losing attachment like oh sort of like happy that uh, he finally went for her rehabilitation but then it was like oh you know like because you you got already some connection with that macaque so that's also like understand me um a lot with you know when we, i try to educate people that you you should not um keep keep the macaque and also try to um yeah, I know how it's hard some people to let go of the macaque, right? So, I mean, with, with conservation, we always come from a different perspective. I mean, like different approach, not to say that they are protected, so you need to give it up. But, you know, it's more like you need to understand the value and a different empathy to the macaque. So that's my first encounter of the macaque, actually. But then um, after I joined the program and then I was uh, invited to go to the forest to see them in the wild. Um, and it was just mind blowing because when I first saw the like the tour package, they said that five hours um, with the monkey. I'm like, why? <laughs> so like, why you need five hours? But then as soon as, um, you know, the, the moment when you start entering the forest, trying to find them and you might not find them because you know it's in the forest and there's like 50 50 chance and then you arrive into the group and then there's suddenly a lot of them in one group like big group and then you start seeing the interaction you know surrounded by the monkeys it was amazing i mean that was something that i 
never experienced as a local and I I was not aware that many tourists come to North Sulawesi to have that experience. So it was amazing like to be surrounded. I was not even scared a little bit. I mean, like, I enjoyed that moment. And I mean, lots of um, interesting stuff also because I end up uh, spend a lot of time in the forest, even for camping, you know, like camping and then suddenly the macaque already under your hammock trying to steal something from you. You know, I was like, I thought it was my friend actually like uh, poking me, but then I was quite scared, like, shit, that was, I mean, like, that's the, that, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no, we need to edit that. No, no, it's uh, just your passion coming through, no problem at all. Um, so, bring no, that in there, your sort of passionate, clear love for the Black Macaque and the Sulawesi, along with the work that Sulawesi and are involved with, how can you see things um, moving forward and trends five to ten years what, what what can you see happening on and what would you like to see for the black macaque in the uh Sulawesi? okay um yeah i've seen like 10 years i can be very confident to uh say this because i've seen changes in people right i've seen people start to aware about the nature, not only just about the monk, the macaque, but also the, the whole nature protection, wildlife protection. People are getting, you know, passionate about it and feeling proud of it. Um, as, you know, before, in like 10 years ago, I would say that not many people talking about the protection of wildlife. And then now over the social media, whenever uh, some sensitive, images or you know like something that uh, in, including uh harm of the wildlife they already can say something and then actually you know say that oh no it's not the right thing to uh, to keep the macaque or to kill the macaque or eat the macaque because it's protected so it is really like changing um however i mean uh if you go to the market now and then if you ask uh, can you see the macaque? Well, you know, sometimes you can still find the macaque, but not as much as before. It's quite hard to say, right? I mean, is it like because people are really aware or is it because they're really going to extinct? Like, it's not really easy to get them anymore in the forest. But I see lots of hopes and people are really now much, much aware than 10 years ago compared to 10 years ago. And so I, I'm I really have a big uh, optimism and then I've also seen, I've seen changes of people and yeah, so many people care about our nature and our cat. And I hope that it's, it's going to slow down the process of extinction as what they're facing at the moment. Yeah. Hope you reverse it. Maureen, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a pleasure.